This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. A global automaker with a very proud history is doubling down on the China market. We'll tell you all about that. And a brand known for its sports cars has just announced a slew of new crossover SUVs. We'll tell you which brand and give you all the details. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack Nierad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. We do America on the Road each week cross-country, and of course we travel extensively driving and evaluating all the new cars. That's a privilege and an honor for us, and uh, it's an honor for me to always talk to Chris each week. Chris, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Jack. How are things on uh, your side of the world? Um, things are fine. You know, we're going into fall here, or the fall that we have in Southern California. I, I think uh, fall is a little different on the East Coast in Maine, where you reside. Oh, it absolutely is. We are in the thick of fall foliage right now. Ah, beautiful. It is so gorgeous in Maine. I have been up there a few times in October, and it, it's probably prime time to be there, of course. So I encourage that, and you're going to have all kinds of uh, visitors coming, dropping by your house, Chris. <laughs> This week, we have a great guest for you. Uh, Mark Snyder is the chief engineer on the all-new Infiniti QX60 luxury SUV. Uh, he actually has responsibilities for e that go even beyond the QX60, but we'll be talking with him about that, the newest Infiniti model. In the road test segment, Chris, you're going to take a look at what? I drove the uh, Nissan Pathfinder. Very exciting. Yeah, and we kind of have an all-SUV uh, show this week. Um, uh, Rightly so, because about 70% of vehicles are SUVs these days. I was driving another one, the Jeep Grand Cherokee Summit. So that's very cool. And uh, we're going to have some, uh, what we believe is very um, insightful automotive news. There is a, a major brand that is shifting its sights ever more toward China. And we'll be talking to you about that when we come back uh, in our news segment. So stay with us with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nerad with you. And we thank you so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. We really do appreciate you joining us. So stick around for that news, and we'll tell you which brand is setting its sights on China. We'll have that and many more stories for you when we come back. So stay with us for that. Uh, thanks for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack D. Red back with you. It is news time. And Fascinating news coming out of uh, China uh, about a major manufacturer. You might call it actually the first automotive brand because it's Mercedes-Benz. This is the company that is setting its sights on China. And uh, according to a, a report in Reuters, it is doubling down on bases both in Beijing and Shanghai. And the reason being that China market is uh, bigger than the German market and the United States market combined. <laughs> it's a big deal for Mercedes-Benz. They have just opened a new tech center in Beijing, and uh, they're having a 1,000 engineers work in that tech center, designing pretty much everything one could design. And then they have opened or moved their Chinese design studio from Beijing to Shanghai, that city has become essentially the design capital 
of China. Shanghai is a city of 25 million people, and I have visited Shanghai. It's a really fascinating place to be, one of the one of the oddest cities I've ever been in, uh, but fascinating. And China sales have jumped very significantly, 12% last year for Mercedes-Benz to 774,000 units. That's a lot more than if you combine their German market, of course, their home market and the United States market, which has previously been one of their biggest markets. What's your take on uh, the way uh, the auto industry is um, focusing on China these days, Chris? Well, it's not surprising given the number of people there with disposable income and the number of people there with disposable income is growing every year. So uh, frankly, I'm surprised it took, I guess, this long for them to uh, announce a focus there. But if you look at other brands like, you know, Buick sells really well there. Cadillac did as well. It's all about the uh, being driven philosophy, I guess. So uh, it's Mercedes-Benz seems to fit that philosophy pretty well. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what that does for them. You know, their global sales, as you say, they sell more in China than they do in Germany and the United States combined. So uh, hopefully that trend continues for them. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Here's an interesting stat, too. 80% of the cars sold in China are made in China. And very often they have China-only features and models. And so you can see why Mercedes-Benz would put more emphasis on that. Demand in, in China is uh, expected to be 35 million vehicles by 2030. That's versus 25 million now. It is the largest car market by a considerable margin. And uh, another interesting stat, I think, is that Mercedes-Benz customers in China are much younger than they are in Germany and uh, even in the United States. Uh, so that's, uh, I guess, a, another reason for growth there. And here's one that is, kind of scares me, Chris, and uh, I'd love your take on this. One of, the th one of the trends in China is a color called rose gold metallic. Rose gold is being used in a lot as an exterior color uh, for the Mercedes-Benz A-Class uh, in China and maybe some other vehicles, especially their electric vehicles. What's your take on a rose gold exterior color? <laughs> I think it would be uh, pretty loud, uh, at least for my taste. I think, you know, if you look at your car as an accessory or as a piece of jewelry, then that makes perfect sense. Uh, my wife's a big fan of rose gold, although I don't know that she would love it uh, as a paint color, maybe as an accent color. So <laughs> I'll have to see what that looks like before I levy a, a solid opinion on that. Yeah, it just shows that uh, different tastes or tastes differ from around the world. And, you know, what we, why we might like silver or black or, or white vehicles. And those are the, kind of the colors that are also very popular in Japan, by the way. And they've become more and more popular here. You can almost say those are the absence of color. Uh, I think they like more colorful cars in China. And we'll see whether that is a trend that comes over here or we can avoid that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Well, there are reverberations from Elon Musk's announcement that Tesla is moving its headquarters from Palo Alto, California to Austin, Texas. This was something that had been rumored for a long time. And... Uh, I guess Elon had hinted at it before, and it, it came to fruition. It's reverberating in uh, in Texas because uh, I think many Texans, native Texans, are fearing that this is going to drive housing prices up still further. And uh, median prices in Austin, in Austin, Texas, where they will locate, are up some 40% over the last two years. So that's a, 
a pretty big jump, <laughs> I would say, right? I mean, I don't think many people's incomes have risen 40% over the last two years. That's for certain. I agree. Austin's been pretty hot for a while now, hasn't it? So uh, big manufacturer like Tesla moves in. Uh, only I don't know how many jobs they're going to bring, but uh, I could see where their concern is coming from. Probably a valid place. Yeah. Well, I've spent some time in Austin recently because there have been a few car introductions there, a kind of a flurry of car introductions there. And uh, of course, you see new offices from Apple and Google and Oracle have all opened offices there. So, uh, and a lot of those crazy Californians are moving into Texas, and you know how they are. Uh, it's kind of scary to Texans, and I can I can understand why. <laughs> Having spent a lot of time in Texas and also a lot of time in California, the Twain doesn't necessarily meet all that much. <laughs> so we'll see what what happens there. And uh, here's uh, something we alluded to uh, in the opening of the show, and it, it is the sports car brand that is now uh, going full on to crossovers. I guess survival mode is part of it. And this is a brand I actually worked for back in the in the 1990s. It's Mazda, and of course Mazda very much known for its sports cars and sporty cars, uh, things like the Miata uh, back in the day, the RX-7, etc., RX-8. Now, by necessity, uh, they will have a bunch of new uh, crossovers, and the, the numbers uh, being CX-50, CX-60, CX-70, CX-80, and CX-90. So uh, a progression of larger and larger crossovers, and I think uh, that just reflects what's going on the market. What's your take on Mazda going crossover these days? Yeah, totally not surprising at all, you know, given that some automakers, Ford, uh, Chevy, Cadillac, well, not Cadillac, but Buick have, have removed cars from their lineup altogether to focus on SUVs, and Mazda's uh, done it almost better than anybody. Their, their SUVs are fun to drive, they're sharp, they're stylish, so... Um, I, for one, have no problem with this, uh, although I hope they keep you know, a few cars in the lineup because they do such a good job. Absolutely true. And I, I think you identified quite well the fact that the uh, Mazda crossovers are both uh, very utilitarian, which, of course, you look for in a crossover, but they're also a blast to drive. I think uh, we love vehicles like the CX-5 and uh, the CX-90, or CX-9, rather. Uh, so I think... Uh, the Twain can meet there. You can have a, a fun-to-drive crossover, maybe uh, give up a little bit of utility, and maybe that's okay uh, to do that. So uh, we'll see what happens there, but I think it's a wise move by Mazda given the realities of the American market. Here's another thing that uh, concerns the American market. Mercedes-Benz is going to add about 300 jobs in its Alabama assembly plant and to build electric sport utility vehicles. This according to Automotive News. This factory, which is in the town of Vance, Alabama, currently employs um, almost 4,500 uh, 4, people and builds the uh, Mercedes GLS and GLE sport utility vehicles. And soon it will be uh, producing battery-powered versions of those vehicles. Uh, what do you think about big electric-powered SUVs, Chris? Big electric-powered SUVs. Well, I hope that uh, highway standards and safety equipment catch up because we're going to soon have plenty of multiple thousand-pound vehicles uh, with people behind the wheel on our highways. So uh, that's the first thing. Second thing is I'm all in favor of it. I think that unless you, you need to tow or you want to go really fast, an EV is probably the best thing. 
uh, for a family. And even then you can still tow and go very quickly with an EV, uh, just with a different, different capacities here and there. But uh, I think for a lot of people, an electric crossover, electric SUV uh, will be a great thing to save on the fuel. You can take it on longer road trips and not spend a thousand dollars of gas, although you will have to sit and charge for a while. Um, but Mercedes does it better than anybody. The EQB electric crossover that we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, they've done a great job designing them to look like normal vehicles. Uh, and the fact that they're building them here in the United States should be uh, a bonus point for a lot of people looking to shop. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they could build as many as 40,000 of each of those electric vehicle models in the first full year of U.S. production. So they're obviously gung-ho about EVs uh, in the uh, large vehicle space. And it probably makes sense, especially for a luxury brand. I think luxury buyers can afford the premium for an electric vehicle where the the typical buyer might uh, struggle with that. Yeah, that's true. Well, when we come back, we will be road testing a couple of SUVs. They're conventionally powered. They have gasoline engines, and uh, we'll tell you about the Nissan Pathfinder and the uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee Summit. So stay with us for that. Uh, Thanks for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris T. Jackie Rad with you. It is road test time on America on the Road. We're excited about the vehicles we have to talk to you about. We're kind of all SUV all the time this week, and it's, I guess, fitting because the market is so choked with SUVs. Chris, you were driving the Nissan Pathfinder, all new for this model year, and uh, I think a, quite an exciting vehicle. Tell us about it. I agree. It is all new for 2022, and before we get too far, I should say that Nissan skipped over the 2021 model year, so if you're shopping for uh, Pathfinder, you'll see uh, used 2020 models or maybe even a new 2020 model and then a brand new 2022 model right next to it on the same dealer's lots, but no 2021 models. But uh, I tested the platinum version of the SUV. It's the top of the top trim out of five or four trims, excuse me, that are, are available. Uh, that is S, SV, SL, and then platinum, like I said. Uh, the pricing starts at around $35,000 for the base S model. Uh, mine was $47,000, just about there uh, as tested. Uh, this was all-wheel drive, and all models come with a 3.5-liter V6 that makes 284 horsepower, 259 pound-feet of torque through a brand-new nine-speed automatic transmission, which stepped in to replace the CVT of the outgoing model. And, Jack, I'll stop and ask you here, what do you think about the CVT versus automatic transmission in an SUV uh, argument here? Well, I think in an SUV, especially an SUV that has some kind of off-road capability or claims to, and certainly the Pathfinder is one of those, uh, having a conventional transmission is a, a better bet than a CVT. There are some advantages to CVT and mostly in terms of fuel economy, but I think Overall, the especially in a vehicle that is rather expensive, I wouldn't say the Pathfinder is super expensive, but uh, you know it's up there. Deserves to have a more conventional transmission. What's your take? I agree, and you know I think that we've talked in the past about how well Nissan does CVT. I mean, they spent millions of dollars and through years and years of uh, engineering behind it, and they've done it just about as well as anybody could. But in an SUV, especially one where you said is you know you might take it off road, you might go towing with it. 
Uh, I do think still that the automatic transmission uh, is a better option. And here they've done a good job. The nine speed is smooth. It matches well with the V6 engine. Uh, it shifts almost imperceptibly, almost meaning that uh, there's no big pause in between gear shifts. It's a little bit slow to downshift, but I think unless you're out trying to uh, race your Pathfinder or take it on a spirited drive, you're really not going to care too much about that. And that brings me to my sort of main point of all this is that when taken at face value as what it should be, I think the Pathfinder is an excellent vehicle and I think it's meant mainly for families. Uh, I don't think anyone should be expecting a sporty or fast ride out of this this vehicle. It takes about seven seconds to reach 60 miles an hour from a standstill. The interior is really where this this vehicle wins wins its points. So uh, second row captain's chairs, you can option it for uh, an extra seat in the middle, but might have the captain's chairs in the middle, which kind of creates a demilitarized zone between the two kids if you have children riding in the back seat. Uh, very big bonus for parents. Uh, Tri-zone climate controls. It's got a really neat, easy folding second row seat to where uh, you don't have to take out the car seat. If you want to reach the third row seat, you can fold the whole uh, seating assembly up and out. Uh, this has a nine inch touchscreen display with physical volume knob and tuning controls, which I felt uh, very strongly was a positive note here. So uh, flipping through satellite radio stations, uh, making quick selections, it's very easy to do when you have sort of redundant physical controls. Uh, and the same thing goes for uh, radio and climate controls. There are they're physical controls for those, which I really enjoy. And Jack, I know uh, you do like old school cars, so I will ask you this too. What do you think about, so you're riding in a car and you have everything built into the touchscreen versus uh, some physical controls and vice versa. What's your preference on that? I think I'm not alone in liking physical controls for some things uh, like climate control things. You want to raise the heat or lower the heat or you want to change the radio station or something like that or just turn up the volume. I think knobs are, are really good for that kind of thing. Uh, other things embedded in the uh, entertainment system are just fine. I think that's a that's a pretty good take. I do enjoy having some physical controls, but on the road, this the, the Pathfinder is very smooth. It's refined. It remains quiet, uh, surprisingly so, especially given you know, with the big V6 under the hood. Uh, there's not a lot of road noise, engine noise, and wind noise that comes into the cabin. The seats are extremely comfortable. I don't think these are Nissan Zero Gravity seats up front, but they sure uh, feel almost every bit as comfortable as those do. Uh, one downside to this is the, the cabin does feel a little bit isolated at times, especially if you're in town, you're trying to park. It does feel a little bit disconnected because there is sound deadening and it is very quiet inside. Uh, but other than that, I think that a lot of people will be happy with the Pathfinder, especially if you do light off-roading. Um, it's got great style and the new nine-speed automatic, automatic transmission is a hit with me. So uh, other than a few small gripes, I think Nissan did a great job with the redesign. I do too, and I... I I'm think probably those are zero gravity seats. Uh, Nissan certainly loves their zero gravity seats. And it's not like you're floating in air, but they're super <laughs> comfortable. So uh, it's a... Uh, there yeah, are, you may be right. I couldn't find the exact specs on it. They certainly feel like it, though. Yeah, they are wonderful seats uh, one way or the other. So uh, we like them a lot. And I certainly like the Pathfinder a lot. And here's another vehicle I like a lot. And in a lot of ways, they're comparable. This could be a comparison test here. I'm talking about the Jeep Grand Cherokee L. Uh, I had the Summit version, which is the premier version. It offers seats for as many as seven, and uh, the good thing is, too, it retains the off-road abilities and capabilities one expects from a Jeep. I think that's important, and I, I know the Nissan Pathfinder is uh, re-stressing its off-road capabilities, but I 
Uh, Got to believe that the Grand Cherokee can outdo it when it comes to that, and uh, in many other ways, I think, too. It doesn't just add seating capacity. By that, I mean the Grand Cherokee. Uh, It delivers a new level of sophistication and luxury, especially in the summit trim. This is the highest of the four trim levels. Uh, They are Laredo, Limited, Overland, and Summit. And one of the things that it offers is the QuadraDrive 2 4x4 system. It has a rear electronic limited slip differential and an active transfer case. I think that gives it off-road capability that is unprecedented, I think, in the mid mid-range, mid-size SUV business these days, so I like that. And also, the luxury is right there, especially in the Summit version. I, I was having difficulty prying my wife out of this vehicle. I think, uh, I, as we've talked a bit about on the show before, we've been driving a Chevrolet Tahoe for a long, long time, and it's certainly a full-size SUV. This is a mid-size SUV that I think my wife could live with. In fact, she loved it a lot. She loved the Palermo leather seats. They're quilted. Uh, and uh, very good looking. It also has a panoramic sunroof. Uh, It's standard, so that's another nice benefit of the Summit version. The driver's and front passenger seat are 12-way power adjustable, and the seat back has massage. How about that? I think, uh, you know, one's wife could certainly use a, a little massage while she is driving the kids around or doing whatever she does, doing the errands that she completes or going off to work in a, the sport utility vehicle. The second row bucket seats tip and slide, so they offer good four and, inch, uh, four and a half travel. I, that's very valuable, I think. It makes the vehicle that much more versatile. And there's plenty of cargo room. There's 17.2 cubic feet of cargo area behind the third row of seats, which is fairly substantial. And then it gets bigger and bigger as you fold seats down up to 84.6 cubic feet. So in some ways, this could be a replacement for a full-size sport uh, sport utility. It's not quite as large as our Tahoe, certainly. And the new Tahoes have immense amounts of room. One of the positives on the technology side is that it has Uconnect 5. And you're a fan, I think, of Uconnect. Uh, What's your take on Uconnect 5, the uh, most advanced of the systems? (laughs) <laughs> the most advanced and latest and greatest. Uh, I think it's great. You know, I think they've done a really good job with the, so they mix a, a really good colorful and live, lively looking interface. So it's not boring, uh, but they also do that with a good level of, of fluidity and intuitiveness. So it looks great and it's also easy to use. And we've talked about this before. And, you know, from my objective, from my perspective, actually, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how good the system looks or how simple it is. If you can't use it while you're driving the vehicle, uh, it really doesn't matter at all. And I think that Uconnect is one that both looks great and is usable while you're driving. So you don't have to spend minutes of time or seconds of valuable time uh, staring and tapping away at a screen trying to figure out what you want to do. Absolutely true. In the Summit trim, the touchscreen is 10.1 inches across. So that's cool. It has wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. So both are wireless. I think that's a big advantage. And I'm surprised actually how many vehicles still do not have wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. That's such a big advantage. The vehicle I was testing also had the optional Macintosh high-performance audio system. This is, it just kind of blows you away. Uh, 19 speakers, a 10-inch subwoofer, uh, 950-watt amplifier. It could blow you out the out the tailgate uh, with its power. It's, it's pretty amazing. So 
Uh, you love the entertainment system. And then there is that uh, off-road ability that I talked about. Uh, the Quadralift air suspension supplements the 4x4 system. So this is a vehicle that has serious rock crawling and water fording abilities. Uh, you just won't find that in other midsize SUVs, save maybe from Land Rover uh, at twice or three times the price. Uh, the vehicle I was driving had the uh, venerable 5.7 liter, 357 horsepower V8 engine. So I like that a lot. I like that uh, power and torque. Just overall, I think they have done a remarkably good job with the Grand Cherokee L. Uh, their first real attempt at a three-row in a long, long time. And I, I think they've knocked it out of the park. What's your... What are your final thoughts on the Grand Cherokee L? I agree that they have knocked it out of the park. I think they did a good job building it into the sort of semi-premium world. Uh, the interior looks spectacular. You mentioned quilted leather, the extra space, uh, and the infotainment system. So I think it's got a it's a great package for people who want a little bit more luxury to go with their hardcore off-road SUV. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, the Grand Cherokee L Summit, as I drove it, starts at about fifty six, fifty seven thousand dollars with rear drive. I had the all-wheel drive version that starts closer to fifty nine thousand dollars. You'd probably pay oh, a little over sixty thousand dollars, which doesn't seem insubstantial for a mid size vehicle. Uh, but I think the the value is there. This is a fully loaded vehicle. So I think those folks who want a vehicle like that are going to find a lot of value in the Jeep Grand Cherokee L in Summit trim. And when we come back, we will be talking with Mark Snyder. He is the chief engineer on the all-new Infiniti QX60 as we continue with our SUV special here on America on the Road. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red back with you. And uh, we're on location. We're on location by a pond, I think, outside Petaluma, California, something like that. It's a, it's a beautiful winery, a wonderful place. We're, we're driving a very interesting vehicle, the Infiniti QX60, all new for uh, this model year. And Mark Snyder, who is the overseas chief vehicle engineer... And so he has been responsible for this, not just here, but in other markets where, where it might be sold and uh, other vehicles that are similar to this as well. Mark, thanks so much for being with us, number one. Great. I'm glad to be here. Tell us a bit about what it takes to put together a vehicle like the QX60. We're talking about a three-row luxury SUV with good bones. Tell us a bit about it. <laughs> well, putting together any vehicle is is always a challenge. You know, there's growing consumer demands for different electronics and you know quietness and performance dynamic ride comfort acceleration and uh you know cars are made up of well over twenty thousand pieces so we have to basically orchestrate to get all of these together to really meet the customer needs and when we're talking about the luxury premium segment like a qx60 vehicle you know we just have to get to that top level from every aspect of you know, fit and finish or uh, how it looks and how it feels and touches and really how it performs. And these customers, they're expecting the car to work every day in and out. So we can't worry about it just coming off the line, but through the life with the customer. Right. So you're looking at dependability, reliability. You're also looking at luxury, though. You have to differentiate this from other products, other luxury products and the mass market products that are in some ways similar. Uh, tell us a bit about the challenges of doing that and, and how you accomplish that. 
Well, the, the main point is we start with the vision from our, our styling studios, what premium should really look like. And in, in the QX60, we really put some flavors of Japan and the styling people could tell you more stories about that. But, you know, coupling that with what kind of interior comfort features like our car has massage seats and some of these kind of things that, you know, really are in the premium market, but are still kind of not in all the cars and you know so we picked well and not at this price point certainly right correct yeah yeah there well you're right there's a huge range of pricing in the the premium segment so tell us a bit about just the basic structure of this vehicle uh, and and how you tune it to be a luxury vehicle well that's actually a really good question because when we started out developing this car we wanted to give what we call solid structure feel. It's the basic structure of the car to, to raise it up, maybe even not one level, but a couple levels from our previous model. And what that does, that improving that structure feel helps us deliver good ride comfort or great ride comfort with um, awesome handling. And so th- by having this really stiff body structure, it, it helps in all the different modes of turning, bending, and it helps you to just balance at a higher level the ride comfort versus handling that's usually a trade-off. And dive into that a bit because our listeners might hear stiff and think rough ride. And that's not what you're talking about at all, right? You're talking about a structure that doesn't flex and thus you can tune it better. Talk, Correct. Talk, the, tell us a bit so about that. By, by making the structure and, you know, as an example, you know, this is a seven-passenger SUV, so it's a, a big interior space. And, you know, we don't have a back panel at the rear seat like a sedan where we can provide some cross rigidity. So we really had to strengthen the car up at the rear end of the car and at the rear of the back door um, to keep that body, you know, in without any flex as you're driving. And without that flex, we're able to you know, balance at the ride comfort and, you know, ride comfort, we have to tune the struts, the springs, all the uh, different uh, absorbers, rubber bushings in the suspension to work together to raise that level of ride comfort. At the same time, raise the handling performance without getting that, like if you go over railroad tracks and get a real harsh feel, you know, so I think we're well balanced right where we're aiming with our QX60 and our target customer. You put us on, um, you personally didn't put us on that, but uh, this event put us on some pretty challenging roads, I think. I, you know, And I think that speaks to the confidence you have in this vehicle. Tell us a bit about the handling of, of this vehicle, uh, especially in, in curvy road situations like we encountered today. Well, you know, it's a combination of what we just talked about, the, the structure, stiffness, and the suspension, but also the steering. So with our new electric power steering, we tune the vehicle and what's really from my view impressive is when you put the steering wheel where you want to go that's where the car goes so you're on a windy curvy road you turn your wheel some other car sometimes you end up overturning and then you have to adjust back and forth but i think we really hit the spot to be able to handle these windy roads with confidence and you know you're not nervous at all so that that's the and that's let our listeners know why electric power steering enables you to do that when hydraulic power steering doesn't well the the main difference is the reaction so with the electric power steering it's immediate and we can tune low speed so it's very light 
steering or heavy assist from the power of the car. And then at higher speeds, we, we dial that back and it helps keep the on-center feel and there's not power pushing it off-center. So, you know, on a straight highway, you really don't have to do much. The car will just go straight. It'll track straight, right? Tell us a bit about powertrain. Interesting powertrain and uh, a venerable powertrain in some ways, but uh, renewed for for this use. Talk yeah, about it. I think the, you know, the engine itself is Nissan or Infiniti's V6 um, that we've had around for years, as you said, venerable. It is enhanced with the latest uh, electronic valve train technology, latest generation. And we've coupled that to a all new uh, nine speed transmission. This transmission is from ZF and we worked very closely with ZF on, you know, hundreds and hundreds of scenes to tune this transmission so that, you know, there's nine speeds, but we don't get shift shock and um, it's very responsive. Doesn't matter what gear you're starting in. So these are some of the things that we really aimed for to give that confident feel. Tell our listeners why nine speed, you know, there may be typical uh, manual transmission is uh, six speeds, something like that. Tell them why nine speed works better than fewer speeds. The nine speed or the, the real important point is the ratio between the lowest gear and the highest gear. And so we pick nine speed based on the available packaging space. And what you get is uh, with a really low gear, first gear, you get this takeoff power. So, you know, you're at a stoplight, you want to go, you can feel that. Then the other side of the coin is the high gear. We can get much better fuel economy at constant speed on the highway. So this is giving you that balance of exhilarating acceleration to take off, but still getting very good fuel economy. And I think we're very much towards the top of the class um, for this. Not segment. only good fuel economy, but also more quiet, right? I mean, the, the engine isn't as busy uh, at high RPM, so maybe there's some quiet advantage as well. Yes, we, I mean, we worked very hard to make a quiet cabin because as a family SUV, whether, you know, you want to use the hands-free phone or you want to be talking to the kids, you know, there's not outside noises from the environment interfering. And uh, so we just aimed for quiet. And the, the engine gears are part of that, but also what we did for isolation, wind noise. Um, and the other key point of quietness is balance. So if you get noise from rear, it can be really annoying or from one side or the other. So this is a really important point as we're developing that quietness that the whole interior is quiet. Right. And you do things like acoustic glass Correct. and sound deadening materials. Talk a bit more about that. Well, there's, so we, we have uh, front door glass is what we call acoustic glass. So it's laminate glass, like the windshield or sometimes called safety glass. Um, and that helps absorb the sound energy coming through. And in addition to that, we, we've added isolation to the floor and dash. And even as a interesting example, above the headliner, there's some insulation. So you don't have raindrop noise. You know, so you're in a have a bigger raindrops. See, I live know, in Southern California, so I would never encounter that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we're it hasn't rained in a long time. Yeah, we're trying. looking to make make it for all the yeah. customers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As as the engineer of this project, what about it excites you the most? What do you? Where do you think you really hit it out of the park? Well, I, I think we really stretch this vehicle to deliver the dynamic per performance at the next level. So, you know, in this premium segment, there's a lot of good vehicles, but we really jumped up to the top with 
that acceleration, ride handling, quietness that people are really interested in. And on top of that, it truly is in itself a beautiful car, very clean lines, and it's not dressed up with a lot of uh, bling or kind of you know big chrome side shields or something but it's very subtle and uh, i think as its shape it's beautiful and this combination of the good looks with the good performance that's i think what i'm most proud of and capability is there too i mean this has pretty big towing uh, capacity max of six thousand pounds if memory serves and uh all-wheel drive is available intelligent all-wheel drive tell us a bit about that well so yes this is a very capable suv so the you know premium customer that wants to tow a boat or a camper yeah six thousand pounds is available and our four-wheel drive system is really enhanced and i should first touch on we increased the patch of the tire so you actually have more grip the tire is a little wider than our previous generation and that coupled with our drivetrain we, we put a direct coupling in to connect the front tires and the rear tires when you're accelerating or trying to pull out of a snow drift or something. And the, the direct coupling has instantaneous transfer of torque. So it doesn't allow that wheel to start slipping. So if you are from a northern state or where you get ice on the roads, this is critical because once you get that slip, you change from a kinetic friction to a static friction and it's uh, much easier to move. So this system, you know, and we benchmarked it in, you know, snow and ice, both in Japan and the U.S., and it's amazing. And a lot of people are going to buy this vehicle with all-wheel drive because they face that kind of situation. They're probably not necessarily off-roaders. I doubt a lot of people are going to buy, you know, uh, uh, this vehicle to do off-roading, but it also is capable in uh, in that area as well, isn't it? Yes, correct. All those same systems work for going off-road, but I agree that this segment isn't really aiming for off-road as much as some others. Right. And you have mode selection as well, right? Correct. And that that helps in, it tunes various things, right? It tunes, tell us, tell our listeners some of the things that that, that adjusts. Yeah, fundamentally you're changing the the throttle mapping um, is is the main contributor for the, especially these off-roads so that, you can uh, have an easier controllability for snow, but you can also have a sportier feel. Um, so, you know, depending on your driving style, some of these other modes might be more comfortable or something you'd like to use. Got it, got it. How exciting is it for you to see something like this come to fruition? You've been with this project a long time now. Uh, we discussed that a little <laughs> a little earlier. Tell, tell us what it's like to, to be in your position with this thing being introduced. Yeah, it's very exciting because, you know, I've been working on the car for five years now and, uh, you know, seeing it on, you know, just computer screens in the early phases and clay in the studio and, you know, slowly moving to here's a car and, you know, everything is perfect. And then to see it out on the roads like today as we're driving through these nice roads here, um, you know, it's just a really proudful moment to see that you know hard work come to fruition and I'm really confident that people who buy this car are going to love it. I think so too. I'm really impressed with it and uh, so Mark Snyder thanks so much for being with us. Mark Snyder of Infinity talking about the QX60 uh, available soon. Uh, look for that in your Infinity dealer soon. Thanks so much for being with okay, us. Okay thank you Jack. Stay with us everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. 
Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. It is listener question time as we sum up America on the Road for this week. Thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate it. Uh, I'm Jack D. Rad. With me is Chris Teague. And I have a, cre- a question, a listener question for Chris. Maybe apropos to where he lives or not. We'll see. Someone told me, here's the question. This is from Doug in Mawa, New Jersey. Someone told me that hundreds of people each year are killed running into deer. Is that true? And if it's true, what can be done to stop it? Well, I don't know if it's a take, but, it, you know, I learned a little bit here and I'm a little a little disturbed by it. So, yes, it is true. There are over a million accidents involving a deer on average every year. And uh, in the year 2,200 people were killed in, as a result of some of those accidents. So, uh, yes, it's true. And, yes, it is uh, quite scary. Here in Maine, we worry a lot about moose as well. So moose are... Uh, even more scary. So if you hit a moose, it's more likely to fall on top of your car than it is to total it, which causes a whole other uh, set of issues for the people inside. But uh, really, the thing that you need to remember when you're driving anywhere where there could be deer is that deer are not static things. They move around, they get confused, they run in places and in ways they shouldn't, or in ways that you might not expect. So if you're in an area where you suspect there to be a lot of deer, my advice is to slow down especially if you're driving at night, drive with lights that you can see the sides of the road or with your brights on if possible. Wear your seatbelt, as you should already be doing anyway, and keep your eyes open to the side of the road. So here in Maine, a lot of times what we'll see is five or six deer standing in one spot, and that's kind of like a decoy because it almost certainly one of them is going to try to run across the road at some point in time. So the best advice there is just to slow down and keep your eyes on the side of the road as much as you can. That's really good advice, and I think be wary of the deer because uh, they're not rational. They don't think like you and me. They don't think, well, here comes a car. I'll stay out of that pavement there right in front of me. They could dart out in front of you at any time. I think the fall is a particularly dangerous time for deer. Uh, I think they are, well, they're doing some things that uh, they only do maybe once a year or so. Uh, I think this is a mating season for them. If uh, I'm not uh, incorrect, I I might be. But I and when they're doing that, they're really not paying attention to what's going on on the road. So uh, watch out for those. And as you mentioned, moose a different problem because they're taller, right? And uh, when you strike one, it might come right through the windshield at you, where uh, you would hit the deer maybe more with the the front end of your car, and it's less likely to come through the windshield, which is a really bad deal all around. Yeah, I think, you know, no matter what you hit, you're going to end up d- doing some damage to your car. So even if you survive, which in the case of a moose, you might not. But even if you survive, you know, your car is going to come away worse for wear. Certainly. And those are big animals, both of them, uh, both deer and moose. I, geez, I don't even know what a moose would weigh, but uh, deers are uh, deer are big enough. So uh, something you certainly don't want to run into. And I, I think that's our show. We're, we're uh, ending up with a show talking about what deer do in the fall, which is a little frightening. But uh, Chris, thanks so much for being with us. Please join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and drivingtoday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new car, a used car, or just want automotive information, go to drivingtoday.com. That's drivingtoday.com. 
the official website of the America on the Road radio show, drivingtoday.com. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. I'm Jack Nerad.